Hello and welcome to this, the second in my series of podcasts. Today we're going to cover human factors. Human factors are central to many quality management systems. Clause 7.1.4 of both ISO 9001 2015 and AS9100 require us to consider human and environmental factors in the operation of processes, including social, psychological and physical elements. And as we emerge from the global lockdown caused by COVID-19 pandemic, we find that human factors may require even more focus and consideration than ever before. Indeed, they may play an even more crucial role in your organization's journey to resilience. Today's organizations are navigating a new context. The landscape is much altered due to COVID-19 and organizations are faced with a number of possible challenges. These include the loss of key clients, a downturn in orders or order volumes, delays to existing orders, cancellation of long-term programs, supply chain disruption, especially those key providers that are critical to product realization, ongoing compliance with certification and contractual obligations, the loss of which may prevent shipping. There may be concerns about mergers, acquisitions and takeovers, although these may indeed provide strategies for organizations to ensure their future viability. Organizations may face a sudden downturn in cash flow, but with continuing fixed cost commitments. This may have driven a change in investors or financial stakeholders, perhaps with government financial support being provided in some cases. We can see there is much to consider. So we need to set a new direction of travel. Organizations are reassessing their plans, realigning objectives, and deploying new strategies and tactics on their journey to resilience. The role of senior management is to set the new direction of travel and to guide internal teams and external stakeholders, including suppliers, through a series of revised processes and adjusting the resourcing and scale of operations appropriately. Successful deployment of these processes is vital if the sector is to survive and prosper. Consequently, organizations will need to pay close attention to its human factors, its people. It is very much acknowledged that people make an organization and they have been through varying degrees of change and challenge during the lockdown phases. In some very sad cases, employees may have lost families or friends to coronavirus and still be dealing with bereavement. A few may have enjoyed certain aspects of the lockdown spending quality time at home with immediate family, for example, or having more time for hobbies or pastimes that have long been ignored. The loss of freedom to go out to the pub or out to dinner, or to go to events or social gatherings or indulging in some other passion that involves being away from home, such as sport, may have been of little consequence to these individuals. Others, however, will have found life in lockdown more of a challenge, feeling frustration at the restrictions, not being able to indulge their sporting passion by watching the game or indeed playing, or simply suffering from cabin fever. And for those with young children at home, noise cancelling headphones may well have been a good investment. So we need to cope with the economic impacts. As time goes on, the global impact of the COVID-19 pandemic are becoming more and more evident. With a furloughed or laid off, it's likely that people will be monitoring the impact on our world economy. And for those working in aviation and aerospace, they are likely to be watching the unfolding effects very closely. The aerospace industry has been hit harder than perhaps any other, 
and massive overnight reduction in global air travel, airlines going into administration, aircraft orders being cancelled, and the big primes cutting their headcount by 10 or 15%, indicating a similar or if not greater knock-on effect down through the supply chain, as every tier strives to survive, conserve cash, and remain viable in order to survive the storm. The different types of changes the staff may have experienced during the pandemic can be illustrated using the Kubler-Ross change curve. The initial shock means that the uh, level of energy in the individuals ascends and then peaks at denial, and then turns into a decrease of energy as the shock and denial morph into anger. It further descends to the bottom of the vertical axis and hits depression. At this stage, the person is at his or her lowest ebb. As time goes on, the normal curve says that the energy levels begin to return as the person goes into experiment, such as going back to that long forgotten hobby or starting something new like hitting a fitness regime. Or they may decide to become a couch potato and enjoy watching all the box sets on TV or to read avidly. During the furlough phase, there has been a noticeable increase in the sales of house paint and DIY products as people get down to jobs long put off. I know that we did exactly that, buying paint for the dining room and kitchen, even though I was not furloughed. It was decided that we need to get some chores done. So this morphs into an upward line again, ascending from experiment through decision and finally to acceptance of the new situation. So a new normal is established. Be aware, however, that there is a risk that for a few small people, small group of people, when they get to the low ebb in the depression phase, instead of beginning to ascend through experiment, decision and acceptance, they can get into a spiral in the depression phase. Governments around the world have reported an increasing concern about mental health during the lockdown, an increase in family issues and tensions, even violence in some cases. So we have new behaviours. Employers are likely to have concerns about returning to work and may be seeking reassurance from their employer that appropriate precautions have been taken to reduce the risk of viral transmission, including hand washing, the availability of antibacterial gel and social distancing. We are all becoming much more conscious now of every point of physical contact, including touching door handles, touch screens, lift buttons, escalator rails, and the world feels a strange place with different behaviours learned over a lifetime which now have to be changed. No shaking hands with friends or colleagues. It all feels very odd. So, as an employer, manager and leader, you'll be faced with a workforce who are navigating lots of change to embedded patterns of behaviour. And having revised your context and strategy and formulated your plans, so you must now be mindful that your staff may be re-entering the Kubler-Ross change curve as they return to work. They will have been through the acceptance phase and be back up to their new normal. And so returning to work will require further adjustments. Those on furlough may have got used to a late lie-in, relaxed breakfast while watching morning television, having time to do as they please. Now they are faced with the alarm clock, early breakfast, the commute to work. So again, they are going to go through the shock, anger, denial, perhaps down to depression, but hopefully quickly back up on the ascent to acceptance. 
For employers, back-to-work plans include a range of measures they are unlikely to have dealt with before. Workstations now need to be one or two metres apart. Routes such as walkways around the facility may need to be one way. Plastic curtains which divided work areas that people just previously brushed aside now present a possible hygiene risk. Where previously they would have been told to hold the handrail on the stairs for safety, suddenly that represents a separate and contradictory risk. Everything with a button or a handle has suddenly become a potential hygiene hazard. CNC programming panels, computer keyboards, product samples used by sales teams. And of course, thought is required about how shared facilities, including canteens, water stations, tea and coffee facilities, and restrooms are all safely managed. All these need to be thought about and planned for with risk mitigation or elimination in mind. The workplace is going to change. The physical layout of sites may undergo significant change as part of the risk mitigation plans. People that used to face each other may now have to sit back to back to avoid possible transmission, or screens may have been erected between people and between work areas. This will undoubtedly change how colleagues interact. So instead of communicating as they work, sharing information, engaging on the job, enjoying some banter and repartee, they may be divided. An element of the pleasure or satisfaction that people derive from work is social. Talking to friends and colleagues during the day, interacting, joking, just being human and socialising, exchanging pleasantries and telling yarns. These things may all be curtailed and could have an impact on staff well-being if they feel isolated in any way. And then we have workflows. Workflows may have been revised to take account of social distancing measures. Critical handoff between activities or processes may be adversely affected. Will information flow be compromised? New workflows may have a significant effect on how a product realization stream works. When an auditor is reviewing a process or workflow or auditing shifts, particularly handovers, part of the assessment is focused on effectiveness and completeness of communication, the effectiveness of handovers, the complete and full understanding of the status of a part or a product, the stage in the process, any issues that may have arisen during the production or during the day or during the night shift. All these elements can be adversely affected, even more so if a worker has been away from work for a period of time. Each process flow or product realization stream is a team or series of teams. The individuals that make up these teams may have been off work and going through the Kubler-Ross change curve with the varying effects discussed earlier. Let's think about recalibrating your, re- your winning teams. Think of a sports team that has achieved greatness. Football, cricket, rugby, whatever the sport, the team may be packed full of world-class talent, the best of the best. But if they don't gel as a team, they are not effective. The most effective teams become as one. They anticipate the next pass. They know what their teammate is planning to do, so make sure they're in the right position to receive the cross. They engage, cooperate, anticipate, and as a result, they score goals, points or runs. They are winners. 
but they need to train together to maintain that peak. If there is a break, a pause in training, they have to work hard to get it back, to get back to that team with a single mind. So let's put that into a workplace context. With all the organizational changes, have your teams changed? Have you moved individuals out of teams and into others? Have you removed one or two people from the team due to the reductions in demand? Are there completely new teams? There is a model for the stages of team development, just as there is the Kubler-Ross model for change. You will almost certainly be familiar with it. It's Tuckman's model of team development with four phases, forming, storming, norming, and performing. The model starts with the forming phase of so the team coming together. The line then drops down over time as the, as the team storms. This is the low ebb. After that, over a period of time, the line ascends through norming and gets to its peak at the performing phase, the team being the best it can be. The curve is almost identical to the Kubler-Ross curve. So in effect, you have two sets of changes going on concurrently, individual changes and team changes. So we need to get match fit. So getting back to our organization, the new plans, the new regime, the new hygiene rules, the essential changes in behavior at work, the new or changed teams, process changes, the revised critical points of handover and communication. Human factors are more important than ever. Using our sports team analogy again, the team and individuals need to be fit. Now we're not expecting your workforce to be world-class sports people, but their work may well be physical to a greater or lesser degree. But what have your people been doing for the last three or four months while they've been furloughed? Some may have been on a fitness drive, but it's perhaps more likely that they've been taking it easy. In short, their physical fitness may be compromised. The level of work they can now perform may need to be re-evaluated. You may need to have a staggered or reduced work periods to allow them to build back up. So there is a lot for individuals and teams to deal with. It is a lot for managers and leaders to deal with. Everyone needs to be aware and alert to the issues. Good leadership and management will be crucial. Good, clear, honest communication. Don't obfuscate or try to hide business concerns because they'll see through it. In human factors, the most well-known are the dirty dozen. Each of these is, in effect, a risk that you need to manage. EASA has recently published a revised document on the role of operators' management systems in the COVID-19 recovery phase. It is interesting to note that this has a section on human factors, which I'm going to read as it corroborates the things I've covered so far. It says, Operations during the recovery phase may be affected by several organization and human factors. Most staff will return to duty with a certain level of psychological stress and operators should evaluate the need to provide targeted support in specific areas. Frontline staff may not feel fit for the duties, but be willing to go the extra mile in order to support their organization. Traditional human factors such as distraction can be exacerbated by COVID-19 related concerns and lead to slips, lapses and mistakes impacting critical actions, such as lowering the landing gear or the arming or disarming of door slides. 
Just culture principles may be at stake due to the fear that in times of crisis, mistakes may be treated as willful misconduct. An interesting statement. So let's go through the dirty dozen and you'll see how this is reflected in those, uh, that statement from IASA. So let's map it out. Number one, communication. Failure to communicate clearly, fully and accurately at a process handover point, a shift change, can lead to an error or omission. We've established that workplaces may see new layouts, barriers to communication, both psychological and physical, additional distances between workers. So what's the risk? Perhaps people won't bother to go around the one-way circuit to pass on information or do shift handovers. Your once high-performing team may no longer be at their peak. How will you plan for and mitigate this? How will you brief your managers and people? Number two, complacency. This can come in many guises. Over-familiarity with a task, not recognising that part of the task or machine may have changed or the skill fate may have taken effect during the time off. There may be a tendency to think, well, we've never had a problem with that part or this dimension or that attribute before. No need to measure it or inspect it. I'll just stamp it off. Number three, lack of knowledge. The AS9100 series has clause 7.1.6, organisational knowledge. It says, briefly, that an organisation shall determine the knowledge necessary for the operation of its processes and that this knowledge shall be maintained and made available. This is particularly pertinent to the COVID-19 situation. In reviewing the organisational context, strategy, risks, issues and formulating new business plans, it may be that the organization's headcount requirements have changed and the loss of staff can sometimes mean the loss of key organizational knowledge. Old Fred that can make that old C and C sing, but nobody else knows the old programming language. So now you have a person or a new team assigned to a task or activity. They lack key knowledge. What's the risk? They may know that they lack knowledge and try to get on with the task as best they can, conscious of the pressures on the business and keen to show willing and safeguard their job. But they may make mistakes or they may just not know what they don't know. Whatever the causal factors, lack of knowledge can lead to errors. Number four, distraction. This is often portrayed as being interrupted in a workflow by a colleague asking a question a phone call, a manager changing priorities and telling a person to stop that and get on with this. All of these distractions are relevant here, but they may be new distractions due to the new layout or the hygiene regime, remembering to wash hands or not to touch things or to go around the new one-way circuit, being conscious of the new behaviours and trying to remember to follow them. These can all be distracting. Number five, lack of teamwork. Back to Tuckman. Teams may have undergone enormous change due to people switching tasks and teams or people absent due to furlough or redundancy. Some teams may never reach the performing phase. Some individuals just don't work well in teams. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but a manager needs to know his or her people and assign them accordingly 
monitoring and managing them to get back to being an effective team. Number six, fatigue. We've already spoken about several contributing factors to fatigue, having to adjust to early starts, weeks of couch time if furloughed, lack of sleep due to stress or family situations. It's crucial that workers look for the signs both in themselves and their colleagues. You could instigate some good practice such as exercise breaks, five minutes of stretching, or you may consider a staggered return to work or shorter shifts. Number seven, lack of resources. This could be related to supply chain issues perhaps. How resilient is your supply chain, both now and for the foreseeable future? With the pressure on, there may be temptation amongst those unaware of the consequences, i.e. flight safety and product integrity, to use a non-conforming part or component or the wrong tool or measuring instrument. Are all your calibrated items available at the point of use? Are they in date? Lack of resource could also, of course, apply to people. Have you reduced the teams too far? Are there enough people to do the job? Number eight, pressure. We mentioned before the pressure to get the job done. Time pressure, getting the job out of the door to meet a customer demand, may lead to steps or activities being missed or overlooked. Wanting to be on side, wanting to get things done, not to be seen as the guy that stops work going out just because he was tired or wasn't happy with the result of that test or didn't have a calibrated torque wrench so used the engineer's elbow. Pressure to keep one's job. Number nine, lack of assertiveness. Changes to teams, job security concerns, pressures and lack of resource can all lead a worker not to be assertive when required, not, not standing up to external pressures, time pressures, managers, and saying, this part is not conforming, or this job hasn't been done correctly, or that does not meet the tolerance. All of these can lead to escapes. Stress, number 10. We've talked extensively about a range of potential causes of stress. Stress can lead people to stop thinking and behaving rationally, to overreact or fail to perform a task correctly. Number 11, lack of awareness. New teams, new roles, new work processes, revised work orders, increased pressures. Are the revised routers or processes satisfactory? Have risks been identified and mitigated? Have you established suitable control points? Have the writers made assumptions about knowledge and understanding? Could a reader misinterpret an instruction? In the COVID-19 context, we could also see lack of awareness of the new hygiene regime. Consider that you've got everything up and running, but one person fails to follow the social distancing rules or the hand cleansing regime and turns out to have been a carrier. Instead of just one person being ill, your whole team could become ill. So these human factors can affect product or the business as a whole. And number 12, norms. Every organization has rules and they tend to follow the 80-20 rule. 80% written or established rules, controls, methods, etc. But there are always some unwritten rules too. Either of these can become a norm, but perhaps an incorrect norm. We always do it that way, no need to follow the work card. And in all the above changes to people, teams, roles, etc., 
and the norms that may have worked for the old team. If the new folks don't know how to make it work, they may establish new, unacceptable norms. In summary, then, there is a lot for leaders and managers to consider to ensure long-term resilience following the COVID-19 pandemic. The big picture stuff, including context, strategy and business plans, are obvious areas of focus. But always remember, your organisation is nothing without people. People are all different. They will all have had different experiences during the COVID-19 pandemic. And they will all have been affected differently. A revised organisation is different. Sites are different. Culture is different. Required behaviours are different. Change, change, change. Change can be for the better, but never overlook the importance of human factors and people as you make your plans and execute them.